0: Hello and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer or Middle East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Pakistani efforts to exploit the Taliban victory in Afghanistan threaten to reinforce ultra conservative inclinations in Pakistan, the world's second most populous Muslim majority country, long accused of supporting militant religious groups. The notion that religious ultra-conservatism may not remain contained to Afghanistan may be one reason why U.S. President Joe Biden decided to effectively abandon Central Asia with his withdrawal of U.S. forces from the Central Asian country. Islamic militancy will cause Russia and China heartburn. It makes sense for the United States to say, this is not an American problem. We're out of here the Chinese and Russians can deal with it. Going forward, we will focus on what is important, the Indo-Pacific, said an Asian diplomat. The ironic truth for China is that the only thing worse than U.S. soldiers near its border is not having them there at all, added Bloomberg columnist Shuli Ren. Mr. Biden's decision may also constitute a choice to allow Pakistan unable to break away from looking at the world through the prism of its troubled relationship with India, to stew in its own juice as it attempts to ensure that the Taliban remain part of a pro-Pakistani bulwark against the subcontinent's predominant, and like Pakistan, nuclear power. Trying to make the best of a complex situation, Pakistan, with China not far behind, hopes that a Taliban-dominated government will favor infrastructure projects that boost the attractiveness of the Chinese-backed Pakistani port of Gwadar as a maritime gateway to landlocked Central Asia. The subcontinental divide cuts through multiple layers, including religion and the fact that the U.S. and Saudi-backed jihadist insurgency that defeated the Soviet Union in Afghanistan in the 1980s has made the Central Asian state, as well as Pakistan, more susceptible to ultra-conservative Muslim precepts, such as the Taliban's repression of women and blasphemy hysteria in Pakistan. The Taliban, as well as a significant number of Pakistani ultra-conservatives, root their worldview in deobandism, a strand of Islam that emerged in India in the mid-19th century to oppose British colonial rule by propagating an austere interpretation of the faith. The Ubandism became prevalent among Pashtuns, even if the Ubandis in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and India went their separate ways after the 1947 partition of the subcontinent. The divide was widened by Pakistani use of militants as proxies even before the 1979 Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, President Zia ul-Haq's Islamization of Pakistan, the anti-Soviet Jihad, and massive past Saudi support for militant Pakistani and Afghan Diobandis and their madrasas or religious seminaries. Islamic scholars in the Diobandi alma mater in the Uttar Pradesh town of Dioband highlighted the divide earlier this month by seeking to distance themselves from their Afghan and Pakistani brethren. Ashad Madani, the principal of the Darul Uloom Dioband, the original Diobandi madrasa established in 1886, welcomed the decision by India's Anti Terrorist Squad or ATS to set up a training center in Dioband. There is nothing wrong with what we teach, and we welcome the ATS staff to be part of our classes whenever they like, Mr. Madani said. A spokesman for the madrasa added that we are a religious school, but we are also Indians. To doubt our integrity every time the Taliban spread terror is shameful. Diobandism nonetheless adds a hard religious edge to Pakistani support of the Taliban. That is reinforced by the rise of Hindu tava, or Hindu nationalism in India, spurred by Prime Minister Narendra Modi. As a result, Pakistani military and government officials have supported the Taliban in recent days by advising the United States to respect the group's August 31 deadline for an end to US evacuation operations in Afghanistan so that the group can move forward with forming a government. The Taliban have said that they would only forward a government once U.S. troops have left Afghanistan. The advice strokes with the Pakistan military's long-standing effort to persuade the United States to negotiate an end to the war with the Taliban, even before they gain control of Afghanistan, a development Pakistani, Pakistani officers believed was inevitable. The U.S. ultimately followed that advice when it began negotiating with the Taliban in early 2019. The Biden administration insisted it would abide by the Taliban's deadline despite the attack on Friday on Kabul's international airport, in which at least 175 people were killed, including 13 American military personnel. Pakistan's military echelons knew that the U.S. would leave and wanted to accelerate the departure. With this understanding, Rawalpindi insisted primarily, invested primarily in the Taliban. Rawalpindi's desire was to ensure a friendly establishment in its northwestern neighboring nation, which doesn't get exploited against Pakistan's interests, especially by India, said Pakistan scholar Ayesha Siddiqa. Mrs. Siddiqua was referring to Islamabad's sister city, where the military is headquartered. The investment over 27 years has produced mixed results. It certainly did not translate into the Taliban doing Pakistan's bidding. The Taliban papers, a cache of leaked Pakistani foreign ministry cables written in 2000 and 2001 before the 9-11 attacks and the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan, illustrate the panic at the time among Pakistani officials because they had lost control. The Pakistani establishment maintains close relationships with the Taliban, though with a decreasing level of influence, said Pakistan scholar Muhammad Lukman. Nonetheless, Islam's influence on the group may have waned, but both sides continue to profit from one another, he added. Lieutenant General Faiz Hamid, Director General of Inter-Services Intelligence, Pakistan's primary notorious and omnipresent intelligence arm, warned members of parliament in a closed-door briefing in the presence of Army Chief General Omar Jabad Bajwa that Pakistan was losing influence over the Taliban. The general was speaking in early July as the Taliban were advancing in the Afghan countryside. Pakistani support for the Taliban is a double-edged sword. The question is, whose worldview will be exported? Will the Taliban emulate aspects of Pakistan's tarnished democratic facade? Or will the group's ultra-conservative religious outlook gain further momentum in Pakistan? One doesn't exclude the other. Mrs. Siddiqua described Taliban spokesman Zahabi Hula Mujahid's promise that Afghan media would be free as a reminder of similar assurances about media freedom by Pakistan's generals, which makes one realize the effort afoot to make a Taliban-led regime look increasingly like Pakistan, hybrid authoritarian and hybrid theocratic. This is where the real problem for Pakistan begins. There is too much opa- opacity around what Pakistan can deliver and what it cannot. Fertilization may, however, be a two-way rather than a one-way road. While Pakistan fears that the Taliban victory will give a violent boost to Tehriki Taliban pa- Pakistan, TTP, the Pakistan Taliban that has close ties to their Af- Afghan kin, the Kabul Taliban may not need the help of the militants, who have started to again launch attacks inside Pakistan, even before the Taliban capture of Afghanistan. The Taliban victory benefits from decades in which religious ultra-conservatism was wo- woven into the fabric of Pakistani society, as well as some of its key institutions. Islamist jamaat al-Islami leader Sirajul Haq, has already used the triumph to demand the Sharia-based system in Pakistan. To be fair, Mr. Haq at the same time condemned the harassment of a Pakistani girl in Lahore for not wearing a traditional shawl. Similarly, Fazal Urahman, the head of Jamayat Ulama Islam, JUI, another Islamist party, congratulated the Taliban on their takeover of Afghanistan. Indian media, media reported that fugitive jaish mohammed chief Masood Azhar, a violent Pakistani Islamist believed to have support from within the Pakistani forces and intelligence, had met Taliban leaders in Kabul in recent days to solicit support for stepped-up operations in disputed Kashmir. The reports could not be confirmed independently, nor did it seem likely That this would be the Taliban's first order of business. Said Mrs. Siddiqua, the fact remains that notwithstanding the ambition to mellow the tone of religion in Afghanistan, Pakistan itself runs the risk of becoming more like its northwestern neighbor, more religious and more authoritarian. It is a concern that has not been lost in Islamabad, where officials have been pushing the Taliban to opt for a truly inclusive government. A visit last week to the Pakistani capital by representatives of the anti Taliban Northern Alliance and other Afghan politicians suggested that Pakistan was seeking to broaden its Afghan network beyond the Taliban. Ironically, Islamabad sought strategic depth against New Delhi by supporting the Taliban in Afghanistan. Now, Taliban rule in Afghanistan will provide Pakistani jihadis with the strategic depth to launch attacks against Islamabad. For Pakistan, the chickens are coming home to roost, said Abdul Basit, an analyst at Singapore's S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at middleesoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.